Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put it in context. Call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. One of my absolute favorite ways to pick winning stocks is to wait for a truly ugly session. I mean, a real bruiser and see what's still hanging in there. A real bruiser like we had this very morning before the president bailed us out, saying the Chinese were making a nice ahead of the midnight deadline for his tariff increases. And the averages rebounded off their lows. Dow only closing off 139 points, S&P declining 0.3%, Nasdaq sinking 0.41%. Now, six hours from now, Cinderella-like, we will have that tariff decision. And just now, we got the pricing for the gigantic Uber deal. $45, smack in the middle of the range. These are the bookends to which I am calling Hell Week. If you didn't know better, there was barely any sturm and drang about either when you looked at the close. But this morning, <coughs> this morning, it was just hideous. Sell, 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 sell. And sometimes a hideous tape is exactly what you need to identify The best winners, there are very few of them, but they pop out at you. Remember earlier this hell week, I predicted we could have an across-the-board sell-off because of the one-two punch from the higher tariffs and, of course, the Uber deal. Because the Uber deal sucked up so much capital from other stocks. I told you the first day would be the worst, but the second day of the sell-off would allow some of the safety stocks to hang in there, the Proctors and Pepsi. Yeah, that'll happen. The third day, whoa. The third day, though, is when the buyers show their true colors. When a sell-off goes into its third day, the buyers just stand there and absorb the market's body blows. And then stocks start rallying like nobody's business, just a handful. And that's what we saw from the morning and right through the afternoon. The buyers simply couldn't be kept down from a handful of stocks. Even remarkable, these, more remarkable, these buyers literally won't let their favorite stocks stay down. They walk them up with a plum, and I would say even arrogance, the buyers have gone full Honey Badger. We've had the biggest decline since the bottom of December. Honey Badger don't care. Declines lasted for six days. Honey Badger don't care. They park themselves in their favorite stocks and refuse to budge. By the way, this is a time-honored strategy. I've seen it time and again. It's like putting out a sign that says, stay away. We aren't letting you take these stocks down anymore. So what stocks were anointed today as winners? Let me walk you through the names that just would not quit. One by one, even as the market kept sinking. First, there's the Cloud Kings, all up for no particular reason whatsoever other than the pattern that I've identified for years when the third day of a big self comes along. The buyers insist on standing there in the middle of a shooting, and then they pressure those stocks up with their needless, concentrated, arrogant buy. It's like a bayonet charged into the guns of the sellers. And you know what? It works. In particular, the buyers charged into three today. They charged into ServiceNow, Workday, and Splunk. 
These three cloud kings have become familiar sites in green on your screen because they're regarded as secular growth stories that won't be hurt by an escalation with the trade war from China. That's why these cloud stocks are immune. It's why they were up so big even when the Dow was down 400 points before the beautiful letter. Buyers don't believe that these companies that help businesses digitize will stop gaining customers just because of some trade turmoil. ServiceNow digitizes information technology, freeing up resources so employees can spend more time with customers. Clients use their platform to onboard new workers and automate their IT departments. They've been on all the time, right? Basically, ServiceNow lets you eliminate non-revenue generating jobs, which is a pure productivity enhancer. Workday does the same thing for human resources, payroll, financial management, and even solutions to higher education issues. In fact, you know what? I think Workday is one of the few enterprises actually out there trying to push the cost of tuition lower. Although, obviously, fighting a losing battle. Again, the story's all about productivity. If you can automate these jobs, your enterprise saves a lot of money. You can spend it on revenue-generating employees or just let it flow to the bottom line. Then there's Splunk. The data analytics play with a security kicker. Splunk is beloved by its clients because it lets them harness a treasure trove of machine data that they otherwise wouldn't be able to do anything with. We violated these three companies over and over and over again on the show because they're cloud-based titans with no real peers. I found them on days like today because they kept staying up there. More importantly, Wall Street is full of believers. People who believe in their stocks and will buy them into any market weakness like they did today. They're like stone walls in the midst of intense interstitial fire. Why? Because these particular cloud kings have no meaningful Chinese exposure. And if the global economy slows down courtesy of the trade war, well, these companies will probably get even faster. The next stock that continues to defy gravity, Roku. This is a company with hardware and software that makes it possible to stream online video on your TV. It's a single best way to play the explosion in streaming platforms that so many entertainment companies are now offering. Basically, it's one of the best plays on cord cutting out there. Roku used to be mostly a gadget maker, but their technology now goes inside your TV and lets it stream directly. Roku now reaches the unreachable, allowing TV advertisers to reach online viewers. Now, a lot of people have been making heavy bets against this company, short sellers. Presuming it's just a matter of time before someone like Amazon builds a better mousetrap, 10% of the float is sold short. But Roku seems to get stronger and stronger every time a Disney or a Viacom or CBS offers something outside the cable universe. It's not just a gadget play anymore, which means Amazon and Google can't simply just displace it. That's why the stock could rocket up 18 points on a hideous day, thanks to much better than expected earnings. Finally, there's T-Mobile. Now, this stock has become a common green sighting in a sea of red, in part because if the Sprint deal falls apart, remember, T-Mobile's trying to merge with Sprint so that they'll have more firepower to take on ATT and Verizon? Well, the thing is that, that, that T-Mobile stock will be able to zoom on its own because the company's taking so much share. I think it's true. Even as it tries to conduct a game-changing merger, T-Mobile hasn't skipped a beat through the whole process. I can't say the same for Sprint, which seems to be a slow motion train wreck. So, the next time we get hit with a brutal market-wide sell-off, remember that even huge down days have their uses. If you're going to pick individual stocks, you need to know what to buy when the averages are getting hammered. Normally, I like to start up with a bottom-up analysis, looking at the fundamentals of individual companies to identify great investments that can withstand a downturn. But on a day like today, you shouldn't do that. A day like today, the market's going to tell you what's worth examining. And right now, that's ServiceNow, Workday, Splunk, Roku, and T-Mobile. Bottom line, 
We know the proximate causes of Hell Week. You've heard the mad nauseum. The tariff increase is scheduled for midnight tonight and the gigantic Uber IPO that just priced in the middle of the range. But the great thing about today's list of winners is that if they can survive Hell Week, well, they can survive just about anything. I want to go to Mike in California, please. Mike! Hey, Jim. Bodacious booyahs to you. Enjoy your show and your teachings. Oh, thank you very much. What's going on? Hey, with the influx of recent IPOs, I wanted to ask you a question. What's your take on Silk Road Medical, ticker symbol S-I-L-K? We, we, regarded, an, we did our, when we did our, our, our uh, skinny on it, we thought it seemed like a very interesting spec. Uh, you know, look, these things, this is the carotid artery one. You have to understand that some of them blew up tonight, some of these specs. You have to, you have to recognize that it can be a blow up. But that was one that we, that we deemed correct and okay for speculation. How about... Richard in New York. Richard! Hey, Jim. Hi, Jim. I wanted to get your opinion on ConocoPhillips. The stock seems stuck in the low 60s and was wondering if it's a buy here and where do you see it going? Well, Conoco is a very good company. A lot of people feel like it's the next target. I don't think so. It's $70 billion. I am not recommending any, uh, really right now, many oil stocks. We got very lucky for ActionAlertsPlus.com Club because we owned Anadarko. I don't want to look back. Whoa, enough. Joe in my home state of New Jersey. Joe. Hi, Jim. Hey, Joe. I want, to ask, I want to ask you about 2U. A couple of days ago, they released their earnings. Right. And they had a slight, yeah, they had a slight earnings beat, but their Q2 and full year guidance were below. Yeah, I know. And since that release, the stock has dropped about 30%. And you, you had their CEO on the show a couple of weeks ago, and I'd like to know your feelings on the stock at these levels. I, I was actually quite shocked that it, was, uh, that it wasn't a stronger quarter. You know, I was talking about them and Chegg. Uh, their loss is, is still going up. Uh, it, it, yeah, I thought that the revenue would be fine, but a revenue in line wasn't enough. It's just it moved too far, and now it's corrected. But that kind of correction, penalty box for a full quarter. Derek in Ohio. Derek. Hey, Jim. How are you doing? I am doing good. How about you? I am pretty good. I'm calling in with a question about Dana Incorporated. Right. In, in Q1, they reported record sales and net income $10 million less from Q1 of 18, mainly due to one-time acquisition costs. Okay. With record results for 2018, positive guidance still for 2019, an increased emphasis on truck production from some of their largest customers like Ford and GM. I expected stock price to rise after okay. the earnings call. Since the call, the stock price has declined even right. before the Trump's tweets about China trade. So my question is, what is your opinion on the stock and what else? Could I, be I, 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 honestly, I don't want to recommend anything that comes even near trucks or cars except for Ford because Ford's rationalizing. But anything that may have any sort of exposure to autos is just being viewed right now as not worth owning. I'm sticking by Ford because of what they're doing in terms of making it so that they're more profitable. All right, if you can survive hell week like we've just been having, well, you know what? You can survive anything. And now you know which stocks did just that. And here they are. Oh, man, money tonight. Who is the upper hand in the trade debate? I'm giving my take after this week's action. Then when the market is vulnerable to a tweet, what should we be looking at in this market to decide whether to stay or go? I'm going off the charts to find out. And Etsy stock is dropping at earnings. But did the company craft a strong report? I'm talking to the CEO. So stay with Kramer. 
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. Last night, President Trump unveiled what I'm calling the Panama City Doctrine. The idea that we should welcome tariffs against China because the Chinese are the ones who pay them. The whole theory feels more than a little Orwellian to me, because strictly speaking, it's just not true. Americans pay these tariffs, but if you haven't noticed, we've been living in a post-truth world for a long time now. The president believes we can afford to simply stop doing business with China, which he views as cost-free, because he's got a beyond Thunderdome approach to negotiations. The Chinese broke the deal. Now they have to face the wheel. Two countries enter, one country leaves. And hey, given the president she turned around and sent him a beautiful letter, there's a real possibility a strategy will work. He's playing she for a fool. Don't feel bad for she. Everybody plays the fool. Sometimes, maybe factual, maybe cruel. But even if we don't get a deal, Trump says he's got an excellent alternative, not that we know it. So I want to walk you through the core tenets of the Panama City Doctrine, named that that way because he laid it out in Panama City, Florida, one of my absolute favorite beaches with uh, fabulous white sand. You can't understand the situation unless you know where the president is coming from, at least geographically. So let's get to it. First and foremost, a little over a year ago, Trump gave businesses some huge tax breaks. So even if they have to pull out of China, it is still coming out ahead. Second, unlike his predecessors, Trump actually doesn't particularly care about American business interests that want to sell more stuff into China. Everyone, every other president catered to these companies. He views the People's Republic as a major ge- geopolitical rival and doesn't want to give them even more commerce than they already have. He's thinking like this is the 50s and these companies want to trade with the old Soviet Union. Third, he wants to make it harder for our companies to manufacture in China. Companies that insist on sticking with the People's Republic are simply going to have lower profit margins than companies that shift their manufacturing to anywhere else on Earth. There are plenty of countries with even lower wages than China and no punitive tariffs. So you can make things even cheaper with the same quality and faster, as national treasure Funko told us earlier this very week. Fourth, the people who actually pay the price of the tariffs, consumers, have already made up their mind about Trump. Either they love him or they hate him. As long as his base still loves him, it doesn't really care, it doesn't care what anyone else thinks. And his base is never going to punish him for being too tough on China. In many cases, they even believe him when he says the Chinese pay the tariffs. Trump didn't create post-truth politics, but you've got to admit he's mastered the form. Fifth, the president knows our economy is huge and service-oriented. There's no universe where we're going to export that much to China anyway. So uh, when they inevitably retaliate with tariffs of their own, I mean, it simply can't hurt us very much, right? Sixth, he's not trying to help the Chinese Communist Party save face. He wants to rip their faces off to the delight of the base. Even if they send beautiful letters, what exactly does does that mean? I mean, is the president talking about penmanship? Either way. 
anyone who really gets hurt by the tariffs, like the farmers, they get bailed up by the government. They send them a check. And if this turns out that this is an escalation, the trade war, uh, it really does hurt our stock market. Well, he, he's going to find a way to bail the stock market out, too, because Trump used the average as the best measure of success as president. When the Dow was down 440 points today at the ugliest moment, the nadir, Trump came out and talked about the beautiful letter corollary to his Panama City doctrine. Sure enough, the market came roaring back. Now, if we keep getting hit, I think we'll give tariff exemptions to any companies that agree to move their manufacturing away from China within the next two years, if it comes to that. But for now, the White House knows that many of the companies that are supposedly in the crosshairs, well, their their stocks are near the 52-week high, so how bad can they be? I actually wonder if he has someone scrutinizing the new high list. Put it all together. And while the president said a lot of things about trade that are factually incorrect, I think he's got the upper hand and the Chinese will be forced to make a deal on his terms. Why? Because Trump doesn't care if we stop trading with China entirely. He wants that. He believes they pay the cost of the tariffs and his base believes it. You know what? That's better than any brainwashing the Communist Party has been able to come up with. They're coming up with a better one. In short, Trump's surreal, fanciful vision is stronger than China's surreal, fanciful vision. Maybe that's all that matters. Stick with Kramer. Coming up, Brooklyn is in the house. Kramer visits the headquarters of Etsy. And the CEO has a lot to say on the future of e-commerce. Almost everything can be personalized or customized just for you. Mad Money will be right back. This has become an unbelievably topsy-turvy market. One where we get crushed by a presidential tweet about tariffs, and then when stocks get hit yet again, we bounce back from our lows after Trump tells us he got a beautiful letter from Chinese President Xi Jinping, indicating that there's a real chance of a deal. So aside from speculating about what's going on in Washington and Beijing, how the heck can you get a more empirical read on the situation? Well, you can look at the technicals, that's how. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carolyn Baroden. She's that brilliant technician who runs the FibonacciQueen.com website, also happens to be my colleague at RealMoney.com, to get a better read on this volatile market. About six weeks ago, she told us that the market had more upside, but you needed to start looking for danger signs. And I think it's safe to say the danger has arrived. So let's start by taking a look at the weekly chart of the S&P 500. Now, we've had a remarkable run since the end of December, but this picture is starting to feel worrisome for Broden. Why? Because she's watching the high-to-high cycles. Up at the top of this chart, you'll see the numbers of weeks between high, between prior highs. A lot of them seem to fail, don't they? Somewhere between 31 and 36 weeks. Why does that matter? Look, it may sound silly, but markets have a habit of repeating themselves. The idea is called symmetry. And this market made its latest high on Friday. 32 weeks. 32 weeks since the previous major high of September of last year. In short, if you were worried that we'd have a symmetry-based peak where the market's selling off into a big run, this is when Broden's methodology says it should happen. In fact, she's looked at a series of previous high-to-high cycles, and what she's noticed is that there's a whole conflict of them coming due this month. That's why she's throwing up a caution flag, because Broden thinks we might finally get a deep downside correction, even deeper than we've already experienced during Hell Week. All right, let's, now we take a look at the Dow, uh, S&P Daily chart, okay? Now, if you remember, the last time we checked in with Broden, she told us to watch a very particular signal, which she often uses as her trigger because it's a good gauge of when you need to buy or sell. She always keeps an eye on the five-day 
exponential moving average and the 13-day exponential moving average. When the five-day crosses below the 13-day, it means the short-term trajectory has gotten worse than the medium-term trajectory. There we go. And that's when Broad wants to sell. The problem? We get exactly this bearish moving average crossover a couple days ago. That's what we've now that's what we're dealing with. Well, you can see, right? It's not too hard to see. How reliable is this trigger? Well, the last time we got a bullish crossover where the five-day went above the 13-day was on March 12th. Five-day, you can see that it goes above, and that was a good, good time. A terrific time to buy the S&P. She gave us that. Broden signal works, and now it's telling her this market is vulnerable to a deeper correction. Of course, if we get a meaningful bounce and the five-day exponential moving average goes back above the 13-day, right? If you get, if you get, you'll see that pass. If you see that go back up, well, that will paint a much more positive picture, and you might want to start buying again. So these things can flip, but it's important to point out what a great indicator that has been, as you can see, every single time. Wow, so good. The next thing you need to watch on the downside, uh, way down, assuming we keep going down, Broden thinks it's important to keep your eyes on the price symmetry of the market and also the timing of any additional declines, like the time symmetry we saw in the weekly chart. We'll start with price. When Broden talks about price symmetry, she means that swings in a particular security often tend to roughly similar in size. See those? Again, we don't know why this is the case. It sounds like something a little kid would come up with, frankly. But like it or not, symmetry works. Charters like Broden wouldn't pay attention to it if it didn't have some kind of payoff, right? Maybe symmetry captures something about the underlying supply and demand dynamics in a given stock or index. Or maybe investors are herd animals and the herd has the mind of a child. Either way, since the S&P bottomed in December, the largest price decline was for $94.61. The most recent decline in the lows on Tuesday was $91.53, which is very similar. Of course, when we got hit earlier today, we made some new intraday lows, and when the S&P was at its nadir, we were down roughly 117 points, okay? Uh, from the last high. Now, if we stayed at those levels, Broden would be very, very worried. At those levels, the symmetry of the move was broken. At 11.26 a.m., it sure looked like the S&P was experiencing its largest decline since the bottom in December, and that would have been ominous. However, once we heard about President Xi's beautiful letter and Trump started making encouraging noises about the trade talks, no, he's not a Fibonacci just timing. Uh, the markets rebounded dramatically, and it closed down 83 from its highs. But as far as the Fibonacci queen's concerned, the symmetry pattern is still broken. There's no fixing it, even with the beautiful letter. Even worse, Broden also watches the x-axis of the market, and that's the S&P's daily chart, uh, and time is not on your side there either. Since the bottom of December, every prior decline has lasted for two to four trading days. Two, four, two, four. We'd get hit, then within a week, we'd bounce back, and the rally would resume. As of today, we've already broken that time symmetry because this downdraft has now lasted for six trading days. That's different. Look at this. Eh. Very bad. So what does it mean? Okay, we've had a series of short dips since we uh, received recovered from the meltdown in December. Based on the scale and duration of the uh, current decline, Brown believes maybe we're not dealing with just another dip. It's worse than that. How does she look at this market? She's seeing some serious warning signs. And although we've already gotten clobbered, she wouldn't be surprised if we get hit with an even deeper correction. Bottom line, even after today's terrific rebound from the lows, the charts, as interpreted by Carol and Broden, who had been very bullish all the way up, is suggesting that you need to be very careful there, even after this move down. Because like Mr. T is Clubber Lang in the famous Rocky Three, her prediction is pain. Hey, how about Steve in South Carolina, please, Steve? Hey, Jim. Yes. Uh, I'm Steve, from old, uh, an old-timer from Charleston, South Carolina area. All right, buddy, what's up? 
Well, long time, uh, first time caller. All the way back to the good old days with Mark Haynes, buddy. Oh, man. 1998 was my first time I was ever with Mark. What's going yeah, on? I, I, I'm an old guy, so I remember all that. All right. Hey, Jim, you have often advised uh, to hold some gold, some form of gold as a, in a portfolio, which I've, I have done. Right. And President Trump has tweeted lately that the country maybe should go back to the gold standard. Yeah. <laughs> He's got it yeah. What is your valued opinion of what impact that would have to the price of gold? And oh, the, well, I mean, it would send us, it would send it screaming. Now, remember, we're in gold because we feel like that we're in uncertain times and it's insurance. That would be more than insurance. That would be like jet propulsion. Um, the president is he's kind of a mercurial fella. And I don't know how much he really wants to uh, go to gold, but let's just keep it for insurance anyway. Okay, let's go to Busa in Texas. Busa. Hey, Jim. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. No problem. I just wanted to uh, call in and check with you. What do you feel about the stock NIO, spelled N-I-O? Oh, yeah. Because because of all the uh, U.S.-China conflict going on currently and uh, it's been a roller coaster ride. It's you know it's peaked uh, uh, at ten or eleven dollars and not. Right. Well, it peaked when uh, when the stock uh, when six, when sixty minutes featured it. Uh, no, I, I mean look, it's a four dollar stock. It's it's a decent spec, but I look, I'm not. Remember, the only Chinese stocks I'm recommending are Alibaba and then sometimes Baidu. Alibaba's good. All right. Sure, we rebounded from the lows today, but the charts. What the charts suggest, you still need to be very careful here. And that's from someone who was bullish all the way up. And that's plenty of pain if we're not careful. Much more mad money, including my exclusive with Etsy. The company crafted an earnings beat, but the stock is still declining. Could it be a buying opportunity? Then looking for a stock that could withstand the whipsaw action in this market? I'll find out if Bausch Health, yeah, the old Valiant, could be the right prescription. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Now, the fact that we say that's not true, who the hell are we? We're the media. We got taken out by Twitter a long time ago. Hear me now, believe me later. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. To find an item that's one of a kind, Crafty consumers can visit a space for small business. Etsy is making a market for creativity and commerce. Will the market make a winner of the stock? Uh, what the heck just happened to the stock of Etsy? The online marketplace for all sorts of handcrafted goods saw its stock get hammered today, down nearly 11%. Etsy's been one of our favorite stocks for ages around here, and it's been a huge winner. It's up 588% since I started recommending it three years ago at less than 9 bucks. So why did the stock get pollaxed today? Last night, just as the company was celebrating the two-year uh, anniversary of CEO Josh Silverman's arrival, Etsy reported I guess let's call it an imperfect quarter. It wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination, I thought. The company delivered a tiny revenue miss. I thought a lot of that was just currency. Coupled with a gigantic earnings beat, they made 24 cents a share. Wall Street was only looking for 14 cents. Plus, management raised their four-year forecast. The problem? Etsy stock had run up dramatically going into the quarter, and investors had gotten used to perfection here. This was their first revenue miss since the beginning of 2017. After today's dropping, though, 
Mm, I don't know. It might be worth buying. Do not take it from me. Earlier today, we had a chance to speak with Josh Silverman, the president and CEO of Etsy at the company's Brooklyn headquarters. Take a look. Josh, you just reported a remarkable quarter, which showed amazing growth among sellers, which is what you want. That's what you promote. How did you get such good numbers? We had a really strong quarter. So GMS was up about 19%, revenue was up 40%, and adjusted EBITDA was 29%. It was a great quarter. And it's continued execution, making the product better and continuing to do a good job marketing it. I know the stock's down, but if I look at the March investment day, you did considerably better than what you thought you were going to do in March. Yeah, I mean, Q1 started out a little rocky, as we said, and then ended really strong. And we raised guidance, so we feel really good about the start that we're off to. All right, let's talk big picture. I I remember an Etsy where if it was coming up Mother's Day, there would be a sign on it. Don't forget Mother's Day. Mother's Day is not an international concept, but 38% of your business is now international. People have to understand that you are a world marketplace for people making things in their kitchen. Yeah, that's absolutely right. In fact, our international growth numbers were the strongest we've posted in quite some time. International is doing great. And both the UK and Germany are now more than 50% domestic trade. So both of those markets have become independent two-sided marketplaces. You've had a remarkable... uh, created a remarkable resurgence among something that was lost before the Industrial Revolution time, which is you have individuals, particularly women, making things and then selling them. Is that paradigm worldwide? Yes, absolutely. So in a world where automation is changing the nature of work, we don't think it's immigration or trade that's really causing uh, economic stress. It's automation. We produce more things in the United States now than we ever did. It's just robots doing most of the work. And creativity can't be automated. So the idea that you can take your creative passion and turn that into a business, which you run from your living room and sell all around the world, is amazing. So 87% of our sellers are are women. 90% of them run a business from home, and they're able to sell all around the world. That's amazing, and I love the quote that you gave, that you do not envy someone who sells products that carry a barcode. Yes. Yeah, if you're selling something that's sold in a bunch of other places, you're competing with Amazon, and it's all about who can sell it cheaper and ship it faster. Well, we sure don't want that. I mean, to me, your demand constraint, which is rather amazing, everyone else supply. I mean, you have too much, too many people come to the site. Yeah, we've got you know a wonderful community of amazing sellers selling unique items that are handcrafted, made just for you, and that's something you can't find anywhere else. No, I mean, I was looking at the site yesterday for Game of Thrones because my wife loves Game of Thrones. There's 200 pages. If you scroll down the end there's like great onesies for Scott. Yes. I mean what a place to do Game of Thrones. Yeah it's amazing. Home furnishings is one of our top categories. Yes, yes. We have 200,000 coasters for sale. So if you stood in the middle of Michigan Stadium and looked around, every seat could be filled with two sets of coasters. That's how much inventory there is available on Etsy. I think people should know what you do for small business. Speaking of coasters, for instance, we have a restaurant uh, right down the block from UK, the Lee Longshoreman. We needed aprons for our staff. What we did was have a two-way dialogue with a woman who makes aprons in the United Kingdom. And this two-way dialogue, this seller to buyer, which is not possible in the mall, 
breeds extraordinary sales. Absolutely. So one of the things we're really doing is amping up the human connections on Etsy. One of the great things is that you're buying from another person. And in a world that feels more automated and mechanized, drones are going to be dropping things off. Here's a chance to connect with the actual person that's making your product, which feels good, but it also means that almost everything can be personalized or customized just for you. It's very empowering for both sides. Yeah, it really is. Now, you are right at the top talking about what you're doing with carbon emissions. Why is that so important at the top of your presentation? Yeah, you know, we're really proud to lead from the front and we're the first global e-commerce company that's entirely zero carbon emissions. So we've always been focused on our office space and our servers powering those with renewable energy, but we just uh, uh, announced that we're offsetting all of the carbon from the shipping when a seller ships to a buyer and we're doing it for less than a penny of a package and Etsy's taking that cost we're not passing it along to the sellers or the buyers and we think it's a trend that everyone should be following it's amazingly affordable actually and I hope that all of the other e-commerce CEOs uh, also investigate this because I think they're going to see that it's really affordable and our customers love it. We're seeing increases in conversion rate which make it good for business. Now another thing that I find interesting is, is that we often, often get caught up in the idea, particularly millennials, that everything ends in a landfill. But I don't think everything, anything you make from a person is landfill destined. No. Uh, it, our sellers work really hard to try to recycle things. And the things that you buy on Etsy are the things you care about. They're your new favorites. They're your belongings, uh, not just stuff. In fact, we've just launched a television campaign, the essence of which is don't fill your life with stuff. Buy fewer things, but things you really care about. And Etsy's the go to, place to go to buy things you really care about. Well, I need to worry a little bit about the analyst community because there are people saying, you know, Jim, you love Etsy so much because you're from Brooklyn and you like Josh. Well, that's not true. Good customers, but I like the business model. What do you think that the community of analysts got wrong that the stock could be so heavily hit, even though you telegraphed everything? You know, we thought it was a great quarter, and uh, I, you know, I, not not my job to try to get in the inside the minds of, of right. every single shareholder. We just got to keep putting up good numbers. We feel great about Q1. We delivered a really strong quarter, and we raised our guidance. So we're going to keep focused on executing. All right. Well, talk about the journey. It's been two years. It's been yeah. a remarkable turnaround. Yeah. You really have made it so that the friction is reduced dramatically for the um, 89% of the women who are at home in a single uh, offering a single product. And that's yeah. what we've used every time we've been on Etsy. So it's been a pretty smooth ride, well, smoother than I thought because of the way you involve your team. Yeah, I mean, I'm so proud of the team. So it was my two-year anniversary last week, and the team has done an amazing job coming together and really continuing to execute. They bring their A-game every day because you know what? Our sellers have to bring their A-game every single day, and the team really rises to that challenge. But we've made it easier to buy things on Etsy. We've made it easier to sell things on Etsy. But there's still so much opportunity. So many people still don't understand all of the relevant purchase occasions for which they could be coming to Etsy. And that's our next opportunity. I know. It looks every day on the site now. It's so different yeah. from this one-off notion. It's everyday giving. Yes, absolutely. Everyday giving for others or gifts for yourself. Fantastic. That's Josh Silverman. He's the CEO of Etsy. What a great run. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. It is time! It's time to 
And then the lightning rolls over. Are you ready, Ski? Daddy, time for the light round. Because we're going to with Robert in New York. Robert. Hello, Jim. Thank you for all you do. Ah, uh, you're a delight. Thank you. The uh, logistics company Zebra is currently 17% below its high, but it has a significant short interest. What price range or P.E. ratio is fair for that? Well, look, it's stock? a fast-growing company. We, you know, we, we, look, we've championed it ever since they made the acquisition not that long ago. This is Anders Gustafsson. You can look at his, uh, at his excellent interview where I thought he handled himself well. Yes, they did not make the quarter that people wanted, but I'm, stick, I'm sticking by it because barcode technology is, again, the way of the future, other than when you're dealing with Etsy, which doesn't care for it. Let's go to Keaton in New York. Keaton. Jim, first-time caller, long-time viewer here. Okay. So, Jim, what's your take on EQM Midstream Partners, ticker EQM? Any one of these that has higher than a 10% uh, yield, let me tell you something. They are vulnerable. I'm going to have to say, don't buy, don't buy, don't buy. Let's have Ted in Arizona, please. Ted! Master Jim. Yes. I love his show. Thank you. I watch it every day. Thank you. My stock is Exelus Biotechnology, E-X-E-L. Exelus. We yes. have liked it. Yes. We have liked it. Good spec. Uh, you know, look, it's 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 a bunch of you. Look, when they do they do kidney cancer, it's incredibly hard to solve kidney cancer. I know that. Uh, but I know that if they do break through it, it's going to be incredible. So let's hold on to that. Nasir in Pennsylvania. Nasir. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Excellent club call today. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to ask you, why do you think the trade desk was down so much? And what is their short-term and long-term outlook? Uh, trade desk is just, look, trade desk has had a remarkable run. It's one of the highest-valued stocks in the world. Uh, and there is a, a belief that there's a forecast that is not, you know, they did a forecast. Look, they had to shoot the lights out. There, there was just no way. I mean, this happened last time trade desk reported to. Everyone thought, wow, I can't believe it wasn't better. And then the stock then went up another 50 points. I'm not worried about trade desk. Let's see if anybody downgrades it on Monday or Tuesday, though. Let's go to Neil in New York. Neil! Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. So I have a quick question. What uh, What do you think of San Francisco? Well, just forget about the San Fran part. It's just the Cisco part I'm really oh, interested in. Oh, I think in. Chuck Robbins is doing a terrific job. I know the stock has moved a lot, so therefore everything is vulnerable. We actually made a little trim the other day for ActionLordsPlus.com. It has moved up so much. And I felt that bulls make plenty, bears make plenty. And hogs? You get the picture. How about we go to Richard in Pennsylvania? Richard! Yes. Uh, I was wondering about uh, what you may think of uh, Sunman. Uh- I'm not in favor of any of the solar plays right now. It's had a very big run. I'm always afraid that something's going to happen you know, with our foreign partners that is going to make it so it's lower. Yeah, let's just say it's too hard for me. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. This roller coaster of a stock market is giving you vertigo. How about falling back on a high-quality turnaround story that will work regardless of what happens with China or the Uber IPO or anything else you might be worried about? I'm talking about Bausch Health Companies, the drug company formerly known as Valiant. For those of you who don't remember, three years ago, this company was a total mess. 
when the board brought in Joe Poppies, formerly the CEO of Perigo, to right the ship. The previous management pretty much had run the business into the ground, borrowing massive sums of money to fund a very short-term strategy. Valiant would acquire other drug companies, then slash their R&D budgets to boost earnings. And then once the innovation started running out, they make a new acquisition and rinse and repeat. When Papa came in, there were serious concerns about the company's viability as a going concern. But within a year, he stabilized the situation, and since then, he's been working wonders, including the name change to Bausch Health, because Bausch and Loma is the biggest brand. Sure enough, on Monday, Bausch reported a spectacular quarter. Papa gave you a 17-cent earnings beat off of an 86-cent basis, higher than expected revenue, fueled by 5% organic growth. Wow! The company's best organic growth since uh, third quarter of 2015, when everything started falling apart. Even better, he raised his full-year forecast while actually boosting R&D. Turns out business is good. And while the stock has rallied roughly 116% over the past two years, I wouldn't be surprised if this is still early in the turn. Let's take a closer look with Joe Poppies, the turnaround artist, chairman and CEO of Bausch Health Companies. To learn more about the quarter and where his company's headed. Welcome back, Mr. Papa. How are you? Hi, Jim. Have a seat, Joe. Congratulations again. Thank you. Thank you. You know, this was the offense quarter, and you need to tell me I am familiar with the Magnificent Seven. How about the significant seven? <laughs> so we're really excited. To me, I'm a pharmacist by my training. So to me, it's always about can we launch new products that make a difference in patients' lives right. and help, obviously, drive shareholder value. We have a significant seven grouping of products led, of course, by our one of our favorites, Lumify, yep. celebrating its one-year birthday this week. So it's already doing. This is my favorite. I used to use Visine. I'm right out. You know, I'm just saying it. This doesn't hurt your eyes, people. If you're up by hours, you need it. One year and already running at a pace over a $50 million annual run rate. With so great we're, profits. We're really, really excited about that. Uh, obviously, one of the other important things that's happened is we need to still turn around our dermatology business. Right. Our dermatology business got an approval uh, just last just month took- on Duobri uh, and Brioli. Do- this is Duobri here, and Brioli was the month before that. And that so does what for people? This is for people who have psoriasis. Um, this Brioli. Duobri is really exciting because what we found is that by putting two agents together, we can use this for a longer duration of treatment for those patients. We think that's really exciting for what that means for changing the the patients to topical therapy or allowing topical therapy for a longer duration and at really about a 75% savings to the healthcare system Fantastic. versus the injectable biologics. So we're really excited about that. And then you that have means. just the big dog, which is just amazing. Yeah, our Zyfaxin continues to be really strong. During the quarter, uh, Zyfaxin, uh, we had a chance it was up 11%, an 8% volume growth in prescription. But interestingly, in our newest indication, uh, IBSD, it's for uh, one of the gastrointestinal indications, right. up 18% prescription growth. So amazing. really exciting. Really and, exciting. And then you got to, you, you know, one of the things I love about your company in a time when people are so worried about prescription drug regulation, yep. the president was squawking today about it. Six, nearly 60% of your medicines are not exposed to the to brand prescription issues? Yeah, that's really exciting because we're really, we think, a very unique company. We're unique in the sense that we have a very diversified business. We're in 100-plus countries, number one. We have medical devices. We have contact lenses. Uh, we have s- s- surgical products that we uh, sell. So very diversified company. Of course, we have prescription, but a large part of it, and consumer products, but a large part of it is not not being regulated by U.S. branded pricing. It gives people, we think, a very important place to look at healthcare, but not be concerned about the U.S. branded prescription pricing. Which is great because that's what everybody, it's top of mind. Now, this was obviously the pivot to offense this quarter, but during the conference call, there were people who openly asked about whether it's time to break up the company, and your CFO didn't discourage it. What was that? Well, we think, first and foremost, most important thing we're doing 
is growing our Bausch & Lomb business. I don't know it's, if I want you to break up. <laughs> well, we're growing at 8% this quarter, Jim. Strongest growth in Bausch & Lomb since the acquisition in 2013. We think that's the most pivotal thing we can do to really turn around this company, and that's really the place we're going to focus on. But long-term, we're all about driving long-term shareholder value for our company. Uh, so we're going to look at all things, but clearly we think the most important thing to do right now drive the Bausch & Lomb performance. When I look at your news headlines, it's always two things, brand new approvals, and then a little pay down of debt each time. Yep. You're still just chipping away at that debt, aren't you? Yeah, we, absolutely. Uh, we generate free cash flow, ballpark over uh, $1.2 billion that we think we can put towards the pay down of debt and or acquisitions. We completed a, a good acquisition, our gastrointestinal yeah, business. Yeah, off the bankruptcy, you picked that yeah. one off. That we, was great. It's a perfect strategic fit for us. It fits so well. We think we'll have a best-in-class product with terms of the labeling, uh, teaming up with our Zyfax and with Trulance, we think is really a great opportunity. And just in the first 30 days we've owned it, we've already increased our calls on doctors to, about Trulance, our new product. So that was good. 30% increase there. Uh, we've already added some additional p- potential um, patients on as we've gone out to regional plans through market access. Uh, we added 2.4 million patients already. So we're excited. We think it's going to be well, a great opportunity for us. Well, this question, for a lot of your products, I'm actually tired of going to the uh, drugstore. Can I get all these Amazon? How do I do it? Um, well, they're available through, obviously, all the large retailers. They're right. also available on Amazon or through e-commerce with any of the large retailers, e-commerce supplies. Well, you know, I them. say that because this is the most run out of uh, product I have ever seen. Well, in a drugstore. I don't know how it's possible. Everyone's always running out of this. Is it just word of mouth? What goes on? It, it is word of mouth, and it's just a great product. It's already today, as we said here, one-year anniversary. It's the number one recommended product by uh, optometrists and ophthalmologists for the treatment well, of red Congratulations, eye. because Thank that's you. one year, one and year. it's wiping out. There's, eye, there's a whole aisle, and it's wiping out. It's really incredible. I want to just commend you for what you've done. And we don't even talk about the lawsuits anymore. They're not even significant, Joe. I want to thank Joe Papa, the chairman and CEO of Bausch Health Companies. This is such a different company from three years ago. Congratulations to you, Joe. Thank well you, done. Joe. Thank you. Stay with Kramer. All right, Hell Week concludes tomorrow. And we get the tariff news and we got the Uber deal. I think that Uber is an expensive stock. So if you got some on the deal, I am blessing flipping it, selling the stock. I do not want people to get complacent here about that. As far as the tariffs, the beautiful letter, the craziness, it's anybody's guess. But I've got to tell you, as I said the other day, by Tuesday, it'll be a sunshiny day. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it for you just right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.